Welcome to Torchlighters, lighting the way for a new generation of theologians. I'm your host, Justin Phelan. And I'm your other host, Josh Phelan. And today, we are back, finally, doing mm-hmm. the podcasting in an oversaturated market, <laughs> because we have nothing better to do. Yes. That's totally not true. No, <laughs> we are very so busy. so many other things we could do. The only day that I can re- feasibly record this is on Sunday, because I have strictly Sabbathized it. Uh, so I, uh, it's the only day that I can work. You sabbatarian, you. <laughs> yeah. It's the only day that I don't work intentionally. A day that I give to God. So we're giving torch letters to God. Not that it wasn't his in the first place. So, so yeah. How you been? It's, it's good. Um, been, uh, just working away at school. We started kind of giving our kitchen a little facelift, which is kind of fun. The cabinets are just this ugly blue color. Mm. Um, I've seen them. And uh, now they're a partially ugly blue and a little bit <laughs> beautiful white. And yes. um, so now I just need to figure out how to hang doors. And there's this tool called a jig. There's mm. actually a tool called a jig. So grandpa used to say, rig up a jig. Up a jig. Yep. And so there's actually a thing called a jig. And it's for screwing or for drilling these like halfway through drilling holes halfway through the door so you can put hidden hinges in them oh gotcha or I, i'm sure they're for other things too but huh. and then uh cool. yeah starting homework and i've got my thesis approved i'm enrolled to actually be writing that um come spring Good and i got my topic kind of nailed down it'll probably be refined as i continue to read and write totally. and things like that but yeah uh yeah and then i'll be done in in may and Sweet. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. about it. That, I mean, there's lots of stuff. We had a baby. I don't know if that happened since the last time we recorded one. It may have. It may have been a, a, a gap baby. A gap baby? Yeah. We have a boy now, four months old. Nice. It's been a while. Yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of babies, Josh, yeah. are you? Uh um I'm I'm good as far as not being the one who is actually pregnant. Um, we are pregnant. We are. We I, are I don't like that <laughs> as a phrase. It makes me uncomfy. Uh, but yeah, we're doing good. Um, probably going to be around mid November that we will be officially parents because we're parents in the, in the fetal sense to do all the work. Yeah. So we actually have to use our arms now instead of just, I suppose you'll have to do all the work. Haley's already doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I definitely don't feel like a dad. Um, I don't know when you begin to feel like a dad, uh, but I will let you know when that happens. So, you'll know when it happens. <laughs> I hope we have a reading list today. Do you have? Do you have something for us? Uh, yes, Justin's reading list is as follows. You know what time it is. So it's a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, Growing in Holiness by Living in Union with Christ, written by a guy named Walter Marshall in the Puritan era. And he wrote a book on basically the fact that uh, sanctification is just as much a reality of faith as it is of as actually working out your salvation. And it's important to emphasize that because what can happen is we can fall into the error of, of thinking we're justified initially by faith, we're saved at first by faith, but then 
the rest of our, our Christian lives are based at least in part on us. Mm. Um, and that was, a, that was something that I struggled with a lot kind of growing up. And uh, once I got into seminary, it kind of came to a head and I, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. And then to go back, having learned that lesson and read this book, it was like, I should have read this book like seven <laughs> years ago. Like, Why didn't yep, I do that? So, right. um, but yeah, I'd like an amen on every page. And uh, I highly Sweet. recommend it. Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall. Okay, so Josh, why don't you like introduce our topic for the day? I don't know if I had mentioned it already. Yeah, uh, I don't believe you did. It is uh, swearing. That's what we're talking about. Um, so that I guess that it kind of includes swearing, um, vulgarity, obscenity, cursing, and cussing as well. Um, you might think that those are all synonyms. Uh, but we're going to kind of differentiate some things, um, in that regard. So, but specifically cussing, I think is where we'll be spending most of our time. Um, but in our, um, vernacular swearing and cussing are kind of the same thing, uh, commonly understood. I had a brief conversation with a family member, um, a couple months ago, and he was mentioning how he... Um, you know, swearing is never, or cussing is never prohibited in scripture. Um, and he, you know, it's not, it's not a prohibition. It's not a sin. And, uh, you know, I think I can, I can cuss and, you know, still follow the commands, the new Testament commands of, you know, edification and building up. And I can still do that while using this language. And I didn't really have a good response for that. Um, because my initial thought was, well, I don't know if I agree. I don't think that that's a good way to approach it. Um, so I figured we'd devote a Torchlighters episode or two to exactly figuring out what is swearing, um, in the sense of cussing, what is swearing in the sense of swearing as well. That's an important thing. Um, but yeah, where, uh, is this idea derived biblically? Where can we where do we go when somebody says something like that or when we're trying to explain to perhaps a newer Christian why they should stop saying those words? Should they stop saying those words? Um, is there a place for those types of words? That type of thing. So, yeah. So you're talking like the difference between swearing an oath versus swearing using curse words like yeah. cuss words the, the, right. that, that's kind of the distinction that'll be making. that'll be our first distinction um but then i also want to talk about cussing um as well and if there's is there biblical room for that um what are what are all these different what do all these different words mean um that we've been using uh to define such language um and where are they found biblically and what can we say about them biblically so yeah yeah what do you have for us? <laughs> what do I have for you? Uh, so what does the scripture have? Um, because, yeah, I like I think in order to just approach this just from the flyover view, just really briefly, and then talk about it from the more specifics of like, uh, you know, what are the what are the questions that somebody would ask when working through these questions? I think we just need to start from the idea of the of language in general, or like the tongue. What where does it come from? Like where why does it exist? What's its purpose? And then how does it fit within God's plan? So 
and talk about the tongue as the organ for human language, human communication. And I think the first thing that we need to talk about is where does language actually come from? Mm. Uh, wh what's the origin of language? The Tower of Babel. <laughs> well, that's the origin of different languages. Okay. <laughs> but the the idea of language as a concept concept is as old as eternity, uh, precisely because it originates in God Himself, mm. and you see this in uh, in a couple of of ways. I think the, the the most immediate way is to see in the very opening words of Scripture there 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 are two facts that we learn about God right away in Genesis. Um, the first is that he's a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, darkness over the face of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, that's the first fact. He's a creator. Second fact is he's a speaker. He, he speaks. Mm. God, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And and that's that's you know, the origin of language. God is the first person to speak in scripture. And he did it in English, so we win. <laughs> he did it in English. <laughs> Just kidding. Um I had a, sorry, totally random story, but I had a, 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 one of my Greek professors said that when you uh, learn Greek, you get years off purgatory because what purgatory is, is learning how to speak Greek because that's <laughs> what they're speaking in language. And, he's, and if you don't believe me, go read Revelation. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Oh, that's great. Um, but God is the first communicator. Uh, he he speaks in the beginning and, mm -hmm. and it's 10 different times in Genesis 1. It says, and God said, and God said, and God said. Um, so he was chatting it up before Adam and Eve were even around. Yeah, he's speaking before there's even a human being. And then, what is that reflective of? It's, okay, so you have the reality of God as a trinity. Now we're appealing to something broader than just Genesis here. But it's in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. And then in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And then in verse 3, God said. So you have the Father. Spirit and the Son. The Spirit and the Word. Hmm. And that, that's not any surprise to us because when we go to some place like, for instance, John 1, 1. <laughs> some crazy in, place. Yeah. In the beginning was the, the word, word and the word yeah. was God and the word was with God. So he's appealing to Genesis and saying mm. what God said. That wasn't just information he was conveying. It's like another person. Mm. And, um, and that person has become flesh and has dwelt among us. Now there's so much more that John is doing than just that, but that's an element. And um, so that's the first thing. Language comes from God. So then what does human language have to do with that? Where does human language come from? Well, human language comes from the idea that we are made in the image of God. In fact, when God creates humankind, um, he, he, he starts it out with these words. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Being made in the image of God is being made like a statue right? It's the connotation in the original is a statue. When somebody, when a foreign king would go and um, conquer a foreign nation, he would erect a statue of himself there to remind people of who's in charge. Mm -hmm. That's the word that's used. Um, God is building a statue in his world as his steward, as his authorized representative. Of, mm. This is my image. I rule. And he rules for me. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what he's doing there. But you see this really interesting play on the singular and the plural in what in God's words here. So then God, plural, said, singular, let us make, plural, man, singular, in our, plural, image, singular, after our, plural, likeness, singular. 
Mm. So you go back and forth between plural, singular, plural, singular, plural, singular. And then you have reflected in, okay, mankind is therefore man, singular, a singular entity, Mm -hmm. but is also male and female, plural. Right. And this reflects the very nature of God, our, plural, image, singular. It is our image. And part of this, so is the people always ask, is this the Trinity? No, it's not. It's not the Trinity directly stated. That's only that something we only understand in light of later revelation. But we do have the idea that God is more complex than just a single entity. He is a somehow a diverse entity. Mm-hmm. I think that we can say that from this text, and we see that reflected in His image, which is that man is a singular yet also a diverse entity. Right, and um. And part of what happens in that complexity is communication. Hmm. It's, the question is, if God is speaking in the beginning, who's he talking to? If God has communication and communication is an interpersonal reality, how, who, who does God talk to? Mm-hmm. And the reality is he talks to his son. He talks to his spirit. He communicates and he communes with his spirit. That's where human language comes from. We are, reflect God in this way. Hmm. Now, if this is true... Obviously, that would have some implications about how we are supposed to use the tongue um, and about how we relate to other image bearers. Um, Language, as God uses it, is used to create life or to give blessing or to give direction. And that also implies that we are required to use our language the way that God used his language. As his representative, as his steward of the things that he has made. We're supposed to reflect him in that way. Yeah. Okay. And that's exactly what happens in chapter two of Genesis. So God parades the animals. You have animal parade, you know, <laughs> going yep. going through and he says, donkey, you know, giraffe, except in Hebrew <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> whatever he spoke. Um, and he gave names to all the livestock of the birds in the heavens, the every beast of the earth, etc. He He's mm-hmm. doing what God said. And then God says, Okay, there's no there's no suitable helper. I'm going to create a suitable helper for you. And then man says in verse 23, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. He gives her a name consistent with who she is. Mm-hmm. And she is who she is because God made her that way. So he is using his language to do with the world what God does with the world. Gotcha. So our language needs to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And... That also means, therefore, that we don't have the right to use our tongues however we want. There is, in that sense, no such thing as free speech for oh. a Christian. <laughs> George Washington, though. Thomas Jefferson. Now, you know, please, you know, don't misunderstand that. You know, socialist. I'm not saying, of course, I am not saying that free speech as we understand it encoded in the First Amendment is not a reality. That's designed to protect the liberty to speak truth in light of government suppression. <laughs> right. Um, but what we mean here is that we are not free to use our tongues however we want. We are bound to use our tongues in keeping with how God would have us use them in okay. ways that God would approve. Sure. Just like a steward would is required to run the kingdom the way the king would approve. Where do we see that scripturally? Is there is there an example of that? Uh, Genesis three, (laughs) you know, you you keep going and, uh, that's where kind of sin comes in. 
But he says in Genesis 2, the command is, eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, it stands for moral autonomy. I will do what I want to do. It's not a magic tree. No, it's it's not. <laughs> it's a symbolist. Yeah, it's a the, symbol tree. It's not imbuing or giving to Adam and Eve something they didn't already possess. Yeah. They knew what good and evil was. God told them, <laughs> right. don't eat here, mm-hmm. eat here. Like the good, evil. Right. Okay, so they knew that. So the knowledge of good and evil doesn't stand for gaining that. It stands for making that. Mm. It stands for I will become a moral maker. I will become a... a uh, an arbiter of my own moral universe. Mm-hmm. And how did that happen? Through language. Mm. The, the deception. The, the serpent deceived by asking, did God actually say? Did, did he God actually, actually say? say? Which is also language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the way that Eve represents the speech of God is inaccurate. Right. Because he didn't say, don't touch it. Right. He said, <clears throat> he said well, don't eat of it. There's like six different things that's different. So, I don't remember all of them, but you know, you shall not eat. He didn't say that. He says, you shall surely not eat um, of the true of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. It's not the tree in the midst of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and neither shall you touch it. Okay. Didn't say that lest you die. Didn't say that. He said, lest you surely, you shall surely die. Right. So he's, there's all these changes going on, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not this is what Adam taught her. The point is God's word is being twisted. Mm. Eve is not using her tongue the way God used his. Gotcha. He's not reflecting. She's not imaging God at this point. And then the outright lie, you shall not die, etc. And she eats. Mm-hmm. And then sin comes in. So, and, and then from that, it's a long, a long story about, well, the tongue then appears everywhere in scripture. Let's just put it that way. Mm. The tongue appears everywhere in scripture. And part of the question is, how do you get that back? How to reform what was lost in the fall? And the answer is that you need to, you need to make a new creation, like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And that includes that we need to be reformed in our tongues as well. We take our misuse and abuse of God's gift of language and he reforms it and reshapes it back into what it was supposed to be. And that's why it's so important that it, Jesus never sinned with his tongue. Mm. In uh, 1 Peter 2.22, he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Okay, that's really important. <laughs> yeah. uh, first of all, because that's a quote from Isaiah 53.9. Uh, but also because, as James says in chapter 3, verse 2, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Mm. Which means that... The language is making external what is internal. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Exactly. So that means that if you speak perfectly, then the overflow of your heart is perfect, which means your heart's perfect. Right. Which is why Jesus not sinning with his mouth is so important. Sure. He does what Adam failed to do. Mm -hmm. And we, as we gaze upon the image of Christ are transformed into that same image, which means that our tongues are going to be transformed into the way that he would use his tongue. Gotcha. So as far as like an, an overview of how to approach this, 
I think that's just helpful in putting it in context. Mm -hmm. When we talk about swearing or making promises or, um, or cursing or reviling or preaching or evangelizing or complimenting, you know, all, these are all things we do with our tongue. Mm -hmm. How are we to think about that? Well, we need to be imitators of God as God is in Christ. And so we look to the example of Christ and Christ kept the law. So we look to the law as a teacher to how to use our tongues. Mm -hmm. And of course we could take that from there in a billion different directions, but I just wanted to lay that out as this is a good start for. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, so one thing that I wanted to discuss, um, we're probably gonna have to split this into another episode. Um, since we've kind of laid the groundwork here, we're sort of running out of time, but I want to discuss the difference between, say, swearing, uh, cursing, obscenity, and vulgarity. Um, is there, are you aware of these distinctions? Would you, would you be able to? I mean, I might be able to point out a few of them, but if you have something specific in mind, please, please enlighten me. Um, it's a very interesting question. So, <clears throat> Doug Wilson, um, the man himself, um, kind of breaks down quote-unquote inappropriate speech to four basic categories vulgarity obscenity cursing and swearing um and he talks about vulgarity um in the sense of um filthiness foolish talking crude joking that type of thing um uh and then obscenity being um a uh something wildly wildly inappropriate especially with a sexual connotation to it and then cursing a uh a sort of pronouncement of judgment upon someone sure. and then swearing in the sense of you know making an oath or um I swear on my mother's grave that type of thing right um and it's interesting that in this article here I'm referencing, he, he says that the scripture is at every point um, on each of these four points, both prohibit the use of each of those and then also use each of those, which sure. is very interesting. Sure. So he says the scriptures prohibit, prohibit vulgarity, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is unbecoming of saints neither filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking, which are not convenient is the KJV translation, um, but rather giving of thanks, thanksgiving. But then he says the scriptures also use vulgarity. He uses the uh, Isaiah 64, um, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, literal translation being a used menstrual cloth. Mm -hmm. And we all do fade away as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So that being an example of using um, inappropriate language um, to describe a uh, something that is true about the state of our um, of our righteousness, all of our good deeds are like a used menstrual cloth. Now that's something that you wouldn't say in polite company necessarily, mm -hmm. right? It's something that we would. Um, look down upon as a as a as a respectable 
um, thing to, to bring up in conversation. But here in scripture, in uh, prophetic literature, it's used as an accurate description of what our righteousness means. And then he quotes the same verse um, as a pro- prohibition to obscenity, uh, Ephesians 5. And then he says the scriptures also use obscenity, for she doted upon their paramours, this is Ezekiel, whose flesh is as the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. So basically he's calling Israel in a, a bestial adulteress. She's basically chasing after these foreign nations as mm-hmm. in the same way that a, a horse would, would issue mm-hmm. <laughs> itself in, uh, in breeding grounds, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> which is a very obscene thing to say, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a nice thing to say about someone, but in this prophetic context, he's talking about the people of Israel and really just rubbing their face in the ground with this mm-hmm. <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. this is you, um, again, a very obscene thing to say, not something that you'd want to bring up in polite company, mm-hmm. you know, but in this, in the Ezekiel, the prophet uses it, um, uses this type of language, uh, and then cursing, um, he talks about in, in Romans three, um, talking about evil people, sinners, um, those people whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness in the sense that you probably shouldn't be cursing and being bitter. Um, but then he also quotes in Galatians, um, an example of Paul cursing false teachers, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that then that which man, this KGV is screwing with me. Uh, <laughs> then that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse, let him be anathema. So there's also a place for cursing, even though scripture also prohibits cursing as not something that you should just throw around um, and pronounce curses upon people. Um, because there, there is a time for cursing um, when a um, when a millstone ought to be applied and mm-hmm. water ought to be surrounding someone's <laughs> lungs, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like when there is false teaching going on. Yeah. Um, it's a, a good example. And then swearing last but not least, but above all things, my brother and swear not neither by heaven nor earth, uh, but your let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, but then um, in Deuteronomy, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name which is a very interesting thing to say. And then Paul also says, for neither at any time we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, covetousness, God is witness. So he swears on God's name that this, that he did not do this. So there, to me, there seems to be a certain sense in which there's both a prohibition and a use of each of these kinds of, of language, swearing, cursing, obscenity, and vulgarity in scripture, which to me, is very interesting and we'll probably expand on this um, in future episodes. But do you have any uh, closing thoughts for us as we, uh, as we wrap this up here? Closing thoughts. Um, I guess I just want to be careful when I say this because I don't want to give the wrong impression um, as though it's just about your, you know, just about your heart, but it really does seem like it boils down to what is the intent that you are using 
the language for. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, Isaiah basically saying, God don't want your filthy tampons. You know, he he doesn't want your used tampons. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying in modern parlance. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a very specific and virtuous Mm -hmm. intent in that. Yeah. Where, which is to rebuke for the sake of repentance. Yep. It's not for the sake of putting down it's for the sake of lifting up. Mm-hmm. And so, and that I think is a little bit of a, more of a context with when Paul says, you know, let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you always right. be ready to edify. Yep. Edify doesn't always mean be nice. Mm-hmm. It means say what is right yep. with the intent to build up. Mm-hmm. And so there really is this sense where... Um, can you, is it possible to use vulgarities or obscenities or cursing or swearing in a way that would do that? I would say in theory, yes. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that if you want to do it, you probably shouldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because yep. it's just not a good idea. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak that way. Mm-hmm. It is a different thing for you, not under the inspiration of the Spirit, and likely <laughs> being controlled by your lustful passions, mm-hmm. do the same thing. Right. So there is. A, it, I think there should be a, also a certain slowness. Slow to speak. Yeah, slow, slow to, to speak, anger. slow to anger, quick to listen. Mm-hmm. And with that slowness should come this reticence to use that kind of language, mm-hmm. slowness, because you know that there is a very jarring shock effect that it has on people. Right, and that being the intent in the prophetic language, where it's like this is, it's part of the shock value is saying, God don't want your used tampons. I think you said that beautifully, by the way. <laughs> you deserve a Pulitzer for that. But like, <laughs> I think that's that's part of the that's part of the point is to to shock them into repentance saying hey this is what this is like um so don't do that anymore but instead of god being like yeah i don't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the it's that deft use of language yeah to evoke a virtuously evoke repentance mm-hmm. from the intended audience yeah and this is that you know, just to add a little bit of a punch to that from the New Testament as well, Paul says this twice in the pastoral epistles, which is very interesting, speaking to pastors here. First mm. uh, Timothy 5.20, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them mm. in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Mm. So it's rebuke strong words, not angry words, but strong, strong words, admonition to repentance. Yeah in the presence of everyone. So this is public. This is humiliating. Mm -hmm. And for the purpose that the rest of them might stand in fear. So you have strong words with the intention to humiliate to the goal of virtue Mm -hmm. that we may fear. Same thing in Titus 1.13. Cretans are lazy lazy gluttons, right? This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Right. And so that's where I, I always want to say, like, if you should be very slow to to, <laughs> to use a, a swear word in our language, a four-letter not, word, yeah, not using the kind of breakdown that you were yes using before. It, you should be very slow to do that because the moments in which we are tempted to use those words 
are usually those moments when we are most carried away by our passions. Mm. So if you can use that in a in the full consciousness of your uh, of of being virtuous and intentional in the way that you're doing it, I'd say okay, I might allow that even mm. if I wouldn't do the same thing myself. Right. But what regardless it needs to be very careful, very slow, very intentional and um and going all the way to the to the level of using a four letter word in, in for instance like a sermon. I don't I don't know that I would be comfortable doing that. Right. But drawing pictures that are vivid and mm-hmm. you know, that those are illustrations. Those are very effective. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I would do the same thing either and all those sermons that I get to preach. <laughs> um but even in in just you know, normal day-to-day interactions in, in language, um, my use of language, I, um, I don't feel it necessary to use those words. My, my initial critique, um, against, uh, cussing was, I mean, cause I, I played a lot of video games when I was young. I was in a lot of secular <laughs> atheist agnostic chat rooms, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, voice chats voice chat groups, um, to, uh, collude as we play a multiplayer video game and, right. you know, get our tactics and everything. And there was quite a lot of, uh, obscene talk, crude mm-hmm. joking, right. stuff like that. And, uh, my initial critique was, man, this is just so uncreative. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you just resort to the use of a four letter word because you have nothing better to say. You know, like if you really want to get at someone, which you <laughs> Christian wisdom would tell you, you probably <laughs> shouldn't yeah, get at that, the person. But if you really wanted to do that, you know, just just throwing a four letter word at them, it's not going to have the same effect Whereas, you know, you go after their mother or, you know, you go after their job or you you poke them in an insecurity or something like that. Right. Like if you really want to get someone not right. not advising any of these as valid alternatives because you should, you know, examine your speech, be slow to speak, not in, especially not in an angry way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought it was so uncreative. So yeah. just me as a creative person in general, <laughs> like how can I, how could I better express w- this, this thought that I have, um, in, in a way that it, I don't have to use this word. Um, but again, I think it's, and this will be the last thing I'll say, cause we gotta, we gotta go. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's, it's, it's as a, um, to be looked at as a speed limit of sorts where, under normal circumstances, you know, you go the speed limit. Or five miles over. Right. <laughs> which is, which ought to be the speed limit, especially on 35E where it's 45 miles an hour. Yes. I'm considering running for Senate so I can make it 55. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, we will get there. But think of it, think of it as a, as a speed limit where you are under normal circumstances, day-to-day activities, you are, you know, being kind in your speech. You're being above reproach. But if your wife is pregnant and, you know, the, you know, the baby's crowning in the car, 
you know, and you didn't have a chance to call an ambulance, you're probably going to be going a little faster than the speed limit. Right. Or a police officer or an ambulance who's got all the flashy, flashy lights and to say, get out of my way, please. This right. is very important. They don't obey the speed limit in a, in a high speed chase. Right. Right. But I guess, first of all, not all of us are police officers. Right. <laughs> I right. guess in this metaphor, that could be the, the pastor's, Police officers are the pastors of the highway. Um, that's that'll be a good T-shirt. But you know, take take the take the the principle here is that you know there is I would say there is a time and place for obscenities, for vulgarities, for swearing, for cursing. Um, I don't know if I'm comfortable with using those words. I mean, my threshold might be a lot higher than some other people's. Um, but I say there is a place for it. Um, in those emergency, in those emergency times, those those areas. Insofar as your language is reflecting the character of God, and um, yeah, I guess that's my that's my closing thought. All right, <laughs> is that a good metaphor? Or is that not? Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we'll 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 pick it up next episode. Okay, and uh, with that. We'll leave you there. Um, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Is that my line? I think so. And your line is ad- adios. Adios. Okay. <laughs> get it. Get out. <laughs> see you. See you never. Yeah.